Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 148. And today's topic is unschool writing. I have invited my daughter Imogen to join me once again on my podcast. Now Imogen is a writer and an unschooler. So we're going to have a really good conversation, aren't we, Imogen? Oh, I'm sure we we will. Well, thank you for joining me. Perhaps you'll quickly introduce yourself for anybody who's new to my podcast. So as as mom just said, I'm Imogen. I am a writer and an author of young adult novels. I have a degree in writing and publishing, and I am an unschooler. So hopefully all good qualifications for talking about this subject. Yes. Now, what number are you in the family? I am number four. Right. So you have how many older sisters? One older sister? One older sister and two older brothers. And you've got a few underneath you as well. Oh, yes. A younger brother and three younger sisters. Right. Okay, then. And we're all writers. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a bit of a family trade. Yes, all unschoolers, all writers. So hopefully we have something that might be interesting and helpful to share with you today. So we were talking about this podcast this morning, weren't we, when we were out? Because it's Sunday morning here. Uh, we went to Mass early, then we went down to the shopping centre and had breakfast together, didn't we? You, me and Sophie. And afterwards, we, after breakfast, we made a few notes of what we could talk about. Yes? Yes. So let me look at my list. I think we, we're going to start with sharing a highlight of our week or of the last few days. Shall we start doing that? I think that sounds like a good place to start. Well, I had a highlight from the week before last because I think last week was pretty ordinary. But <laughs> something exciting did happen a few days previous. And that was I did a podcast interview with Pam Barnhill. And she has the Homeschool Solutions podcast. Well, actually, she has four podcasts. And I was talking to Pam before we started recording our interview. And I was telling her how I'd admired her for keeping up with four podcasts because we're finding it difficult just to do one, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> and Pam said that it has proved difficult recording enough content, having enough time to do four podcasts. So she's actually uh, combined all her podcasts into one. And I think that the one that she has retained is the Homeschool Solutions one. And that's where my interview will be eventually. I don't know when it will be published, but um, sometime in the next few weeks, a couple of months or so. But I'll let people know about that. If anybody would like to hear that interview, Pam and I talked about uh, homeschooling uh, and graduation. Um, veteran homeschoolers, that's the title of this series of podcasts. And Pam wanted to talk with homeschooling parents who have graduated they're homeschoolers, at least one homeschooler. And that makes us smile, doesn't it, Imogen? I can see you smiling <laughs> over there, graduating, because, of course, unschoolers never graduate, do we? Yes, it's such a funny word to think about in the context of unschooling because unschooling is more than a way of homeschooling. It's a way of life. I'm 24 and I'm still unschooling. I haven't really graduated yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I guess from a one point of view, we do graduate though because we no longer have to be registered homeschoolers. Yes, we graduate from our formal homeschooling years. Yes, we don't legally have to, you know, be registered, and that's a wonderful time, isn't it? When we get through that process, and we don't have to answer to anybody again. It don't have to answer to the education department. Don't have to persuade them that I'm teaching you all. Everything you need to know. I mean, that makes you smile as well, doesn't it? Teaching you. <laughs> Those are sort of words. And when people say, what are you teaching your kids? And I just smile and think people have no idea how unschooling works. But you're learning, aren't you? Well, you did learn and you're still learning. Learning all the time. Okay, so that was my highlight. And I might even be brave enough to listen to that podcast once it's published. It took me a while to get around to listening to the interview that I did with Pamela Riccia. I think that one was published mid-November, episode 150 of the Exploring Unschooling podcast. And I don't think I listened to that one until the Christmas holidays. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> but it's always the idea of hearing it back and thinking, what did I actually say? Did I sound like a fool? Exactly. I mean, I have to listen to my own podcasts after I've recorded them because I've got to edit them. But listening to things that I have recorded with other people is a bit frightening. I have the option when I do my own podcast of deleting it if I don't like it. <laughs> Pam didn't say anything about deleting it if I, uh, you know, if I said something wrong or it didn't sound good. She just <laughs> thanked me for it. So, and yep, this is going up. And so it's all up to her editor what goes up, not me. But anyway, I really enjoyed talking to Pam Barnhill, and I would like to thank her for inviting me to be on her podcast. It was a real honor. Pam and I go back a long time. I think I've known Pam Barnhill for nine years. And yes, all our children have grown so much in that time. Anyway, your highlight, Imogen, what was your highlight of the week? I think probably my highlight of the week was going out and doing a book photo shoot. Um, so... I take uh, photos of books for my Instagram and they're also connected to my recent YouTube channel, which is all about book reviews. And as anybody in my family can tell you, I'm not really a photographer. It's taken me a very long time to get to the point where I'm comfortable taking my own photos. So going out and doing a book photo shoot myself is sort of new and, ex and very exciting and it's just a little bit nerve-wracking because I could come home with some really good photos or I could just have a hundred photos of rubbish. <laughs> but I think the only person who always comes home with loads and loads of good photos is Sophie. I mean, most of mine, yeah, if I get, I don't know, a few dozen good ones out of a few hundred, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much my expectation is I'll take 400 photos and get four good ones. And I think if I did that, I would be happy, but no, no I, I, usually, I usually do better than that. <laughs> I'm sure you got a lot more than four photos. And if anybody would like to see Imogen's photos, which are very good, despite what you're saying, <laughs> uh, what's your Instagram account, Imogen? So my Instagram account is at Imogen Elvis, or the screen name is write, rewrite, read. I also went on that photo shoot and I enjoy taking photos of you and Sophie taking photos of books. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got some of those behind the scenes photos on my Instagram account as well. But anyway, on to the topic of the day, I think. 
Let's talk about some writing. Yes, otherwise um, the time will pass and we won't have mentioned the topic because we can just keep on chatting about anything, can't we? And we'll have another mega episode of over an hour long. But people haven't come back and complained about the length of our podcast recently. I've been a bit self-conscious about the fact that they are so long, but I haven't wanted to cut anything out because... The last few I have done with you and Sophie, haven't we? Yes. And I think that you have a lot of interesting things to say and gives another perspective on unschooling. It's just not, it's not just me talking about unschooling from a parent's point of view. It's you younger unschoolers who are giving your point of view about the whole thing. And one thing that I'm really thankful for because it could be quite embarrassing, couldn't it? It could be a mother saying to everybody, this is how unschooling works. And then the kids could come on and say things, and I could say, but no, 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 that doesn't fit in with what I'm saying. Yes, <laughs> yes, you're not saying the script properly. You're supposed to be saying this or that. And one of the things I have discovered by talking to you and Sophie is that we're all in very much in line about what we think. And I... The right words come out of your mouth <laughs> that match up with what I'm writing because I listen very carefully to you. Well, I try to you and then I try and write it as I, as you tell me. So if I'm talking about how kids learn, I ask you first about things, don't I? Yes, we have some really good conversations about the, about how children learn or children's perspective on things. And so. We do actually have a lot of input into sort of podcast ideas or blog posts or articles or whatever. So and, and anything we say on the podcast that is our own opinions, we haven't actually scripted anything. We are just that much in line. So I didn't go out this morning and I didn't pass you the notes and say, Imogen, this is what you've got to say to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, we're... We all agree here, don't we? Which is really lovely because we can have conversations and I think sometimes, as we've been talking about, parents try and tell kids what to say and what to think. Yes, and parents, I think, also have their own ideas on what work and because like, they find something that works for them but not necessarily that their children are enjoying but they don't actually talk to the children or it's like, no, this this is what works. They don't know. They, they don't know anything and in in our case, we found something that works and that we all agree works. It's not just for the parents, which is lovely. Yes. So it's a, I've got unschooling right, hey? Yes. <laughs> I think if both sides agree, then you're doing something right. It's really lovely. And I also think that I've talked about everything, I think, from babies to adult children while I've been doing my podcasts. And sometimes I do feel that... I'm going over the same ground, doing the same topics over and over. I've got nothing new to say. And having you and Sophie come and join me on the podcast, it's given you life to the podcast. Yes, seeing it in a different way, approaching it from a different angle. So we're hoping that all our listeners are enjoying hearing from you and Sophie. I hope so. Or perhaps people could stop by and let us know, do you like what we're doing? The sort of new direction this podcast is taking. Not that not that I won't do some podcasts on my own because we didn't do a podcast last week, did we? Because you were all too busy. And I think that that's going to happen sometimes, that there's going to be weeks where I won't be able to get uh, some free time when my free time doesn't coincide with your free time. And I might have to sit down and make a podcast on my own. But it is nice, I'm sure, to 
have the change where you you're not just podcasting on your own and yeah, well, I'm not talking to myself. <laughs> it's a lot easier when you've got someone who's answering you back, <laughs> especially when they're agreeing with you. <laughs> yes, I sit here talking to myself. I've done that for years. It's funny how uh, unusual that felt at the beginning, very uncomfortable, and now it doesn't bother me in the slightest. <laughs> you get used to everything, I think. I think people walking by down the hallway can hear me through the doorway, think I'm strange, but <laughs> I guess you all understand probably all do similar things don't you oh yes okay let's get on to the topic i think we've already taken a lot of minutes up talking about all sorts there now you're a writer yourself and you've already told us that you went to university and you did a writing degree professional yes. writing professional writing and publishing is that that's it? right and that was a three-year course yes so that's what i have my bachelor's in so did you find it difficult to get onto that course no. Um, so the way we've always done university has been because none of us have an HSE or high school certificate, which if you go to school, you need, you need that as a score to be accepted by a university. And the way we've always done it is you finish your formal schooling years and then you go and do two or three units of open university, which doesn't have any entry requirements. You can do some introductory units and then you can use those instead of the HSC. Universities will accept that as your score, and then you can be accepted onto courses. So that's the that's the direction I took. I did three units of introductory things. So I did like a critical thinking unit and an introduction to university unit, and I think I did an introduction to writing as well. And with those three, then I was able to get into the course I wanted. Now you said that you did. We do that at the end of the formal years of high school, but I think actually you did them a bit younger than that. Yes. You can actually do them whenever you like. You don't have to reach the age of eighteen or so. No, I think I started when I was probably seventeen. Yes, and then you went on and you did your degree. And what do people say when you were doing that degree? Were they encouraging? Did they think that you would get a job writing? What was their advice? <laughs> Most people, when they hear that you're doing writing, will first of all tell you that there's no money in it and that you'd be better off doing some other career. And then if you are insistent that, yes, writing is what you want to do, they go, oh, you should go into journalism because, you know, my daughter or my aunt or my cousin is in journalism and, you know, so it's a great business. We always need more journalists and I'm sure we always need more journalists, but that's not where I wanted to be. I definitely don't enjoy the journalism side of writing. I remember during your final year, you had the chance to do an internment with, say, a publishing house as part of your university course, and you didn't want to do that, yeah? No. You'd, and I thought that that might be a stepping stone to a career, but already you had decided that's not the direction you wanted to go in, so you decided to pass up on that, yeah? Yes, yeah, so when I started the university course, I thought maybe I would write my own fiction on the side and possibly I could go into editing, which I could either do freelance or try and get a job with a publishing house. And the further I went through the course, the more I realized that while I enjoyed learning about the editing, I vastly much more enjoyed the writing side of things and not actually being in the publishing scene, you know, as an editor in a house or something. So by the time I got to the point where I could have done a placement, I just decided, well, I, 
I like this degree. I really want to finish it, but I don't want to go in the direction that I do when I started. I wanted to do my own fiction. I wanted to be the author, not the editor. And you are writing young adult books. Anybody that is familiar with my podcast will know that. You have published your first novel. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so last year I published my first novel, which is a young adult fantasy called The Crystal Tree, um, which is fantasy adventure for teenagers specifically, but I've, I found that people of most ages seem to like it, which is very nice. Now, to support yourself while you're writing, you're also doing cafe work. Yes, I am a waitress. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that fits in very nicely, doesn't it? It's got that sort of romantic feel about it. You... A lot of people like to write while they're in cafes, so you spend your life in the cafe either working or sitting in the cafe writing. Yes, I can never get away from cafes. I like them too much. So it's really the perfect job for a writer. But are you happy doing that? Or the other alternative you could have done was to get some editing work or work part-time with more formal writing, working for somebody else as a writer while you're writing your young adult novels. Are you ha happier doing the cafe work? I am. And actually for the reason that I only want to work on my own writing, not that I, not that I don't like helping people out, and I've certainly beta read for some friends and helped out with things like that, but in the creative space, I want to have only my own writing. When I go to the cafe, I, I work at the cafe and then I come home. I don't bring that back with me. It's not something that I can work on while I'm at home. So whenever I'm at home and I'm working at home, it's purely my own fiction. And that's the way I like it to be because then I'm not either dedicating all my time to working on someone else's stuff and losing my own creative work or alternatively skimping on that because I really just want to write my books. And talking about writing and helping other people, you've been helping me with my unschooling book, haven't you? Yes. And why don't we give everybody an update about that at the end of the podcast? I think that would be a great idea. So don't let me forget. <laughs> Because there is some progress, isn't there? Oh, yes. Okay, so that's a little bit about your background for writing. Have you always been a writer? I have always been a writer in some sense. Um, so I'm pretty sure we've told a couple of stories before about how I have been writing and telling stories for pretty much as long as I can remember. And since before I could actually write. In fact, the first stories I ever wrote were little scribble drawings on just all these sheets of, of paper. And we'd, we'd finish up and we'd have like 50 sheets of paper in a stack that just told this one long story in my absolutely atrocious artwork. But you remember how Dad used to bring home all the old paper of, from work and it was printed on one side and be blank on the other and we used to have boxes of it and used to get a big stack of paper, sit down, who with, Charlotte? Yes, Charlotte and I used to do it and yeah, we'd just have paper everywhere and he'd bring home all this paper every, every night and be like, yep, this is, this is the new day's work for me. And you used to put one piece of paper at a time between the two of you and used to draw on the same piece of paper, adding bits adding drawings as the story progressed. Is that the idea? Yes, that's right. And it would just be like the sequence of of drawings. So each each piece of paper would be one part of the story. And yeah, we'd just make it up as we went along. It was a bit like a comic strip, except nowhere near as good. <laughs> I can remember the drawings of bunk beds. where You'd have 10 bunk beds, bed beds, you know, 
uh, one ab above the other, going up the page, and uh, millions of children doing things. Space saving. It was practical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the top child got into their bed. Big it, ladder. <laughs> it took them a while to get up. <laughs> so you think that these drawings were your first writings? Yes, that was back before I actually could write properly. So that was the first way I had of putting anything down physically as a story. Like, obviously, we played games. We were very imaginative in our games. We always had a storyline to them. But from memory, these were probably my earliest um, recorded recorded stories. Because, of course, story write, storytelling happens during play, doesn't it? Oh, yes. You tell stories as you act out games. Can you remember all those little House on the Prairie stories you used to? Oh, yes. So you used to base a lot of your play on books and things that you had read? Oh, yes. And that's also a form of writing, isn't it, as you're telling a story? In some ways, it's telling other people's stories, do you think? I think so, yes. But your own interpretation of it and your own adventures. Um, so, yes, play. Do you think play is essential, free play, N not structured play, but having lots and lots of free time to go outside or go wherever you like and play the games without any adult supervision? Do you think that is essential for writing? Absolutely, because when you're out there and you have no adult supervision and no one's got any extra input in there, you're just allowed to be creative in the way that you want to and tell the story that you want to tell. And for writing, that's exercising your imagination. That's forming a cohesive story. And that's teaching you to do, you know, to write and tell the story that you really want to write without, you know, conforming to what other people want. And those are all huge things if you're going to write anything. You've got to have something to write about first, don't you? So yes. you've got to have your imagination. You've got to have creative thinking. Yes. And I remember once you said that your childhood of play formed the foundation for your creative writing. Yes, I would agree. Yes. So you don't think that being allowed to go outside and play or play for hours on end is a waste of time? Absolutely not. No. If you if you want to, to um, sort of foster an idea of creativity and free thinking and inspiration, then just let your children go out there and play on their own because they will come up with some amazing stories. You think that's more important than sitting kids down at the table and making them form their letters and learn phonics and uh, do writing exercises? Doing those things teaches you the mechanics of writing and anybody can learn mechanics. But writing is so much more than just, can you put a comma in the right place? It's all about the idea and the creativity behind it. If you don't have anything to write about, then knowing all the mechanics of writing will do nothing for you. And if you don't have that time to be free and explore writing, then doesn't matter how good you are at grammar and punctuation, you won't be able to write. In fact, it's it's so restrictive just learning from a textbook, you know, just learning your grammar rules and your punctuation rules and how to spell and how to write your letters the correct way round. So if you have lots of, well, you did have lots of time to play and do you think that that sort of environment could, spurs you on to want to write so that a point will come when you want to put your pen to paper, you put your pencils to paper and drew, and you think then, then the next stage is that you want to share that with somebody else instead of having to sit there and tell them the story, that you want to actually write it in real 
uh, words so that you can share it. Yes. So it's a natural progress. You play, you might draw, then you might want to think about the mechanics of writing because you get to the stage where the stories inside you, you want to share them with other people. Yes, it does become a natural progression from one to the other and you just build up on it. So we shouldn't worry about one stage appearing to take too long and you shouldn't hurry a child onto the next stage. No, and like, I mean, you can encourage a child to think about putting their stories down. You know, you could say, well, it's a wonderful story, you should write it down, but you don't pressure them to do it. They'll move on when they're ready. Maybe the idea hasn't occurred to them until you mention it, but if it's required to be written down, then it loses the spark. But if it's something they want to do themselves then, you know, they'll have a real love for it. What about dictating the story and getting somebody else to write it for them? Do you think that's adequate? Or do you think parents should push their kids to do it themselves? I think that dictation is a great way of starting it because children's imaginations are often ahead of where their mechanical writing skills are. And if you want them to be able to write, then the first thing you need to foster is just the idea of putting a story down, putting things together together. Because, again, writing is so much more than just knowing how to put the, the different pieces on the paper. If you can do that for them and they can tell you the story, they're halfway there. I just thought of something. We didn't have uh, technology, the same technology today as we did when you were younger. But if, you'd, if we'd had phones and things, mobile phones, because we had landlines, <laughs> obviously, we're not, not that old. <laughs> but if we'd had mobile phones when you were smaller and you couldn't write for yourself, I could have given you the phone and said, well... Record it yourself. Yes, absolutely. Could have done that, couldn't you? Or an iPad or something and just, yeah, recorded your own stories and then listen back to them. It's so much easier um, and more accessible for children to get stories out and in some sort of form, whether they're able to spell all the words yet or not. Because I think that there is, a, um, you've got to learn how to structure a story. And sometimes when you can hear your story back, you realize maybe you've left some points out or that You've got it in the wrong order. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it would help a child, wouldn't it, to listen to their story and think, well, I forgot to say this bit, or that doesn't make much sense. Yes. It's, getting it down is the first step. And if you get something down and you finish it and you come back, then it teaches you an awful lot about just the idea of writing anything. So there's, I guess, two parts to the writing is uh, is being able to write what Write something in a way that gets all your thoughts down in such a way that other people can understand them, a logical way or a creative way, whatever. And that's one part. And the other part is the, using the tools so that you can share it with somebody without you having to say it yourself. Yeah? Yes. So before we head on to that, though, let's go back to the play uh, idea a little bit more. I um, we were talking the other day about those days long ago when you used to disappear outside with a cup of hot chocolate about, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning with, with all the other girls and I wouldn't see you again until dinner time. No, once you're outside, you cannot come back in. The game cannot be stopped. <laughs> Those are the rules. And you used to do that all year round. It might be really cold and freezing outside, big wind going, but you never noticed because you were so engrossed in your games. And I might have felt guilty about how little time I'd spent with you. I might have thought, oh, look, they're out there playing all day again, and I'm in here with the baby or the toddler, and I've got all, I don't ha I'm not doing enough with them. I should be getting them in here, getting them around the table, doing stuff with them. 
but I never did. And looking back, I'm glad that you had that time. And yeah, so would you say, Imogen, that if kids want to play, let them? Yes, absolutely. And you've got some lovely happy memories of that time, haven't oh, you? Oh, yes. And when you tell me all the stories about the games, I mean, you're 24 and you're still talking about these wonderful games you had outside. And, you know, my heart just is so warm when I hear them because I think you really enjoyed being a child, didn't you? I did. It was great. And you've got all these happy memories of play. And look at you now. You've been to university, you got a degree, you're writing books. If anybody had said to me all those years ago, look, you should make your ch children sit down at the table and do these formal uh, exercises and everything. I mean, some people might have worried about the fact that you weren't doing any of them. I didn't worry, but you know, do you think other people worry? I think definitely other people do worry. People worry a lot about whether their children are getting a good enough education, whether they should be doing more or more structured or just making sure that their children are learning everything that they could possibly need to know. And I think that people worry too much about it sometimes because, I mean, children learn naturally what they need to know. And, I mean, look at where I am now at the point where I've published a book, I have that degree, and I'm working in a career that I really enjoy and I wouldn't be there if I didn't have that time to go and explore what I liked. If I didn't go outside and play as a child and make up all those crazy games and draw those stacks of pictures, I wouldn't have written books. That It just would not have happened. <laughs> so it all turned out well. It e did. Even though I didn't make you sit down, fill in the workbooks and everything, it, w it worked out well. It did. That's good. So we won't worry about that. I mean, it's just a good job I didn't pull you in, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, those were wonderful days. And they don't last forever, do they? No. They, uh, I don't know, we have to let kids play as long as they, they want, but you do have this urge to move on at a particular time. Your games progress, don't they? Yes. And you do want to uh, learn formal things, but in an, in your own way like writing, it's not as if you're never going to learn to write or never going to learn to read or never going to do all the things that the workbooks try and teach you to do. You don't need the workbooks. You're going to find out all those things yourself, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not as if you unschoolers end up being uneducated and unable to write. There's that urge within you to do it sometime. Yes, as as long as you've been encouraged to be creative and to do those stories, at some point you're going to realise well, I could do more with this. I could do better. This isn't exactly what I want. I want to learn how to make this look right. And that's when you go out and you learn how to do all the all the mechanical parts of writing. You learn how to structure it. You learn how to write with correct grammar. You learn punctuation because that's really important to being able to share a story and have other people understand it. And you learn that as you go. You don't have to know everything. Do you think that other people's example around you spurred you on that because we're a family of writers, because you had three older siblings who all wrote and I've always written and dad writes too. Do you think that gave you an example of writing and you wanted to join in? I definitely think so because if the people around you are writing, it's it becomes a natural part of life. It's not something that's sort of exotic or, you know, something that you wouldn't try because you haven't thought of it. It's just there. It's just a thing. And writing is a thing that people do. So naturally, you're going to want to join in and do your own writing. So this leads me on, Imogen, to a 
chapter of my unschooling book. And it's called My Writing Unrules. <laughs> so we were talking about this earlier. I had headed this chapter, My Unwriting Rules, and then I thought, well, that's wrong because we don't want to unwrite. We want to write, <laughs> but with unrules. So a list of points that might be helpful to encourage young children to write. Yes? Yes. But they're not rules as in you've got to do this and you've got to do that. They're just things that I have observed from watching you kids learn to write. And I thought I might list them all just in case they are helpful for anybody who's worried about that their kids aren't writing. And I think this is a big worry for unschooling parents. How are my kids ever going to learn to write? Writing is an essential part of life and they're just showing no interest in it whatsoever. But I think that if writing is an essential part of life, of course the child's going to learn it because they're going to need it. Exactly. Children learn what they need to know when they need to know it. But the point, I think, is that children don't always write in the way that a parent wants them to write. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and can you remember, well, you won't know about this, but when I was at school, and I think this is a schooly way of doing things, you get a set exercise write about your holidays oh. <laughs> or you get given a picture, write a creative story based on this picture. And I think a lot of homeschoolers use those techniques as well. And I can't think of anything more boring. Uh, it does not stimulate original thinking. No, as a creative writer myself, just mentioning those topics just makes me go, oh, inside, just no. <laughs> there is nothing creative about that. You just get that and you just stare at it and go, this picture is not interesting to me. I don't want to write anything. But a lot of parents sort of get worried if they want, they present one of those sort of writing exercises to their children and the child doesn't want to do it. There must be something wrong. How am I going to get my child to write? And uh, that's not necessary, is it? No. And in fact, I'll just say right now, that sort of exercise is not actually creative writing. That is very restricted and not... and. You give a child that, they won't be inspired. If Lots of people can't write with a prompt like that. It's not because there's something wrong with the child or the child doesn't have skills. It's just because it's a stupid exercise. We want people, well, our children, to write, anybody to write, because they're inspired, because they've got something they want to share with the world or even just themselves. We want to, it's writing is turning our thoughts into words, isn't it? Yes. And getting them down in such a way that we feel satisfied with them. Do you feel that's uh, what writing's all about? Yes, it's not about, you know, how well can you write this story about what you did on holiday. It is, honestly, it's something that comes from inside. It says, yes, I have this thing that I want to say now and I'm going to say it. Yes. So it's the inspiration, the motivation to write has to come from within yourself, not from outside. Yes. And I think this is a lot about what unschooling is about. We're always talking about how children have to be motivated to do anything, whether it's to do the, the right thing, to do their chores, whether it's um, to write. The inspiration has to come from within them. Yes. Not They shouldn't just write because a parent has said, you've got to go and write something. We want to bring up people that will write well, they have the skills to write when they have something to say. Yes. Okay. So let's look at my unrules. And we've already talked about the first point. 
If we want our children to write, we've got to write ourselves. We've got to model the skills. And I think that fits in very well with unschooling is that we can't expect our kids to do anything that we're not prepared to do ourselves. Yes. Yeah, so if writing is something important to you, important enough that you think needs to go, needs to be passed on to a child, you've got to be willing to do the same things that the child has to do. Because if you don't value it in your own life, then children don't value it in theirs. They'll do it mechanically because you say so. But if you don't show them what having writing as part of your life is like, then they will learn the skills and do nothing with them. I think this, we hear this a lot with reading. If you want to bring up readers, you have to read. Yes. And it's the same sort of thing. And my next point there, well, to do with that is that we have to share our writings with our children and talk about the process of writing. Yes, so which we do a lot, isn't it? Oh, we're always talking about writing and sharing ideas and things we've learned and sharing problems we have as well because if you talk about it, then it's you can all help solve the problem and everybody gets something out of it. It's one of the pleasures of family life, in that, well, in our case because we are all writers, is to share our writings with somebody, with each other, and to get that feedback, the kind feedback, isn't it? Yes. Not to pull each other's writings to pieces, but everybody, uh, everybody's open to listening to other people's points of view, and we want we want to help each other, don't we? Oh yes. So we're always giving each other things to read. What do you think of this? And where could I improve on that? And I remember when Sophie was smaller. Uh, probably it happened with other people as well, but I. Thinking of Sophie, because I have a story in my book about it, where Sophie was very, very interested in my fiction writing. And then she would go away and write fiction that sounded very much the same as mine. <laughs> and which was a great big honor. She'd write in the same style as I would. She was copying my example. And that was really lovely. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, the thing is also, like, they they might copy your writing, they might copy um, the writing of an author that they really admire, and it's one of the best ways to write, to like to learn how to write, because you're copying the example of someone who is better than you, and you learn so much by it, like you'll eventually learn how to write uh, in your own way, but having the example of someone to follow is just great, it's a really good way to learn how to do all those different elements of writing. And that leads on to my next point, Imogen. It says, read a lot to children so they can hear good examples of writing. I'm not saying that mine was a good example of <laughs> writing, but uh, there's a good choice of books, isn't there? Picture books, um, novels, poetry, whatever. Uh, you can read comics and even junk mail. Oh, yes. <laughs> because they're all different types of writing. Aren't they? Yes, and we've always sort of had that um, culture of reading aloud in the family. I think you still do it. Um, but Dad used to read books out loud to us before bed. It was picture books, and then it was older books. Then it was The Lord of the Rings, because everybody needed to hear that at least once. Multiple times if we were lucky. Um, we used to read aloud Shakespeare plays, so we would read the entire play all the way through. Or we would read poems. And just being exposed to a lot of good writing um, by reading it and by having it read to us, you absorb an awful lot from that. Like you learn a lot just by seeing it in action. So did I make you sit down and listen to all those? Did I make you read out Shakespeare? Did I say, come on, you've got to come and listen to this poet, poem and all that? Is it something parents should make their kids do? No, I, you, I never advocate for parents making children do anything because 
the moment you have to make a child do it, the child loses interest. For me, I really enjoyed those things. Like I loved listening to The Lord of the Rings when Dad read it. In fact, I think my earliest memory of that book was he was reading it to the older three and I was in bed and my bedroom was right next to the living room and I would get out of bed and I would crouch by the door so I could hear what he was reading when I was supposed to be asleep. You should have come in and sat down and listened to it. Well, I was supposed to be in bed at that point and I was just like, and I probably could have if I'd said something, but I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be in bed, but I want to hear the story. <laughs> we should talk about bedtimes another time, shouldn't <laughs> yes. we? Yes. Makes me sound like you had to go to bed. No, that was on me. It was it was me just not wanting to, to go out and say, hey, I really want to listen to this. Can I come out and do that as well? So that was my choice not to do that. So we wouldn't have chased you back to bed and said, you're supposed to be in bed. <laughs> I highly doubt you would have done that. <laughs> okay. So now can you remember ever copying a particular genre of books uh, in your own writings, for example, I remember Felicity used to write a lot of mermaid stories, and I think Gemma Rose did the same thing when she was uh, reading mermaid stories. And then there's princess stories, that type of thing. Yes, um, I think everybody goes through that. If it's not a particular particular genre, it's a particular style. For me, I think the one that I most vividly remember copying as far as style goes was the Percy Jackson books by Rick Riordan, which just had this amazing character voice to them and it was sort of funny and sarcastic and it was first person and for months after I first discovered that series I was writing funny sarcastic first person characters <laughs> in just everything I wrote because I loved that and it was just it was amazing it even now I've been writing for a long time and obviously I'm not a child anymore but while I'm reading fiction usually, it's usually fiction, I pay a lot of attention to the structure of a novel and the way that the author is using words and the way he or she is punctuating. And I always have one eye on the mechanics of the writing and one, you know, eye on the story. Yes. And I can't help myself. I a split personality here and I absorb the story, but I also absorb how the writer is conveying that story to me. And sometimes I learn new tricks that way. I think, oh, wow, look, I've never thought about doing that before. And I want to go away and practice somebody else's technique not and make it my own. Yes. It's, it's a good way to learn. Oh, it's fantastic. You can do the same thing with movies. I do that all the time. I'll be watching the movie and I'll be enjoying it for the movie, but I'll also be deconstructing it as we go and going, oh, so that's how they did that. This will be setting up something in the future. I'm a terrible person to watch movies with because I can usually predict the plot twist about 15 minutes in because I just deconstruct the whole thing and go, oh, yeah, so that's the that's the direction this is going to go. But that's because I just like figuring out how things fit together and then trying it myself later. So this brings me to another point. Kids sometimes want to watch lots of movies, but movies are storytelling. Exactly. It's storytelling, but just in a, a visual form. And there's a whole lot of amazing skills in watching in, but in movies and in, in movie writing. And the stories that are told in movies are just as compelling and just as valid as anything that goes onto, you know, into a book. So if you, if you want children to like writing, watching movies is actually not a bad thing. Okay. My next point here is that we should have lively discussions and encourage our children to join in with them. 
if we, you know, to share not just writing, but their ideas and their interests and things that have happened and things they've heard about. And the idea about this is that talking sometimes turns into writing. Yes, and another point I would add to that is the fact that talking and being allowed to share your opinions makes you feel like you what you have to say is interesting enough that other people will be interested in hearing it, and it gives you the freedom then to go and write what actually interests you because there is nothing worse than being in a conversation and having an opinion and then someone turning around and just immediately shutting you down and going, no, that's wrong, you're wrong, you're stupid. Because then that carries over into writing and you don't feel that you can write from your heart and write exactly what you really think because you think that people are going to say, oh, no, that's wrong, that's you wrote a stupid thing there. So not only do you have great opinions and great thoughts that will then eventually percolate and come into your writing at some point, but also it just means that you can write what you really want to write and you don't feel like people are going to judge you for it all the time or that you've got to be really careful about what you say because people are going to think you're stupid. Yes. Um, talking about that, Imogen, have you ever left a conversation like we're sitting around the table having dinner and we're having a really good conversation and we're all swapping opinions about something? Have you ever felt afterwards about rushing off to your computer or at least to your notebook and writing something down that oh. you want to remember and you want to develop into some kind of writing. Oh, absolutely. A lot of sort of the core ideas that we talk about will go into into things like even when we have conversations. You know how sometimes we talk about politics or something like that? We have opinions on those sorts of things. Like the book I'm writing about at the moment became very political in a way that I didn't expect because there were ideas that we had talked about and they had just naturally come into what I into what I wanted to say and it was really interesting the way that opinions and discussions will all of a sudden show up in what I'm writing. So I guess what we're talking about here Imogen is that if you want kids to write they have to have something to write about. Yes. We're back to that uh whether we have a discussion about our own ideas or whether you're playing and developing your own stories. If kids have nothing to write about, they're not going to want to write. They've got to have something within them that they want to get down on paper. Yes. yes. So having discussions and sitting around the table talking about all sorts of things might not look like writing, but it leads to writing. Yes. And it's just as important. The same with reading books. You think she might, you might, a parent might say, well, she wants to read, but she doesn't want to write. But if you keep on reading, you most likely want to write eventually. Yes, absolutely. Because you have so many thoughts and so many ideas and everything comes together in the end. It might not look like you've initially got any sort of thoughts or inspirations or ideas for things that you want to write about, but they come out eventually. Everything comes back and everything shows up in writing eventually. Eventually you'll have something that you want to say and then you write it down. So I suppose this leads on to not pressuring kids to write when they haven't got anything to say, but to keep on reading and keep on letting them play and keep on doing other things. The time probably will come when either children will want to write because they have something to say or they have a need to write. Yes, and it's this, as, as I've got older and I've done a lot of writing, you know, outside of what, we, what I always say is formal schooling, the need to sort of read and absorb other ideas and sort of just be surrounded by ideas and thoughts becomes more and more important because you can't create in a vacuum ever. You've got to have something coming in so that you can have something going out. 
So if you're reading and you're discussing and you're thinking about things and you've got opinions, eventually you're going to have enough material and enough ideas that something's going to come out. All right, so now if we, we've got something to write about, right, and you feel the motivation to write, does it matter if you can't spell? How are we going to get our thoughts and our stories down on paper? Because a child might come along and they really want to write something, right? And then we could kill it flat by the way we handle the next stage. Oh, yes. Yes? So we, they, they're inspired. They want to write. They sit down and they don't write in the way that a parent might want them to write. The spelling is all wrong, no punctuation. And we could criticize and say, well, look, that word's spelt wrong and I, um, that letter's back to front and where's your full stops? And then what's going to happen if we do that? The child's going to go, oh, I can't be bothered writing anymore. I can't write. My mum doesn't like it. I just, I'm just terrible at this. I'm never going to write another story. And that's it. It's done. They're gone. They're not going to write again for a very long time because negative opinions and negative feedback stay with people for a very long time. And in the grand scheme of things, knowing the mechanics of writing is actually a very small part of it. And it's something that you learn as you go. I mean, there's, there's always Gemma Rose who didn't learn spelling from, you know, like a spelling program. I'm and she picked up spelling as she went. In fact, I picked up a lot of spelling as I went. The word I could never spell was necessary. How many C's and how many S's? And it took me until I was 18 to learn how to spell this word. And I learned how to spell it because I needed to. And it wasn't because I had to go and learn it in a spelling book or something. It was just like, right, I really need to know this word now. How is it spelt? Do you know the word I have lots of trouble with? And that's Rhythm. And oh, I, so many H's. Was there an H or a Y? Where they all are? And I use that word quite often in unschooling, talking about the rhythm of our days. And I've got to the point where I think I ought to sit down and learn it properly because I keep having to uh, check it, you know, Google the word rhythm. And sometimes I get the word, the letters in such a, the wrong order that the word doesn't even come up in the Google search. It's a, one of those stumbling blocks. Yes. And I think to myself, doesn't really matter because I can check it with spell checker as long as I get near enough. But yes, it would be good if I learned how to spell that properly, which, you know, I'm not young. So it's not abnormal for kids not, uh, for a person not to have perfect spelling. We can go through life not knowing how to spell perfectly. But why do we have impose such high standards on kids? They've got a long time to learn, haven't exactly. they? Exactly. And the other thing is, whether you can spell or not has no effect on how good a writer you are. The Australian author, Jackie French, is, I mean, she's one of the best Australian authors alive right now, and she's dyslexic. So when she sends a manuscript off to her editors, they have to ring her up sometimes and go, hey, this word on such and such a page, what is that supposed to be? And she'll look at it and she'll go, oh, that's hippopotamus. Like, oh, all right, thanks. So she can't spell, but she writes really good books and it doesn't matter. So parents don't, shouldn't push kids to do spelling lists and spelling workbooks and grammar and punctuation, all that type of thing? No, they learn it as they go. If, if they're writing, they will learn how to do it. It's how I learned to write novels. The first novel I ever wrote, the first full length one, I wrote at 14 and it was terrible. I had no idea how to stay within a genre. Um, I had no idea how to pace it. I couldn't spell right. I couldn't punctuate right. It was like, it was a mess. But 
the next novel I wrote was better because I learned a bit more and then I wanted to know how to use this thing so I learned how to how to do that and as you go and as you write you learn more and more and more until you finally become a good writer and you learn better as you use things you could learn all the grammar rules in isolation and then you would forget them because why would you need to remember them can I tell you a story about that Felicity, she's um, number one in the family. And yes, I had this uh, terrible idea at one stage that she was going to do a grammar workbook. I, oh, found, no. <laughs> I found it in the shop and I thought, well, this looks good. We have to try this. <laughs> and she sat down with this workbook and she did a double page every day. And she'd fill it all in. I would look at it, mark it, and it was always 100% perfect. And then she'd turn the page and do the same thing the next day. Well, after a few weeks, I had this thought, Did was she remembering what she'd learned? So I went back and I flipped back a few pages and I questioned her about what she should have, have um, should know. And she knew none of it. And she just found the right answer on the day and then she forgot it as she turned the page and it looked like she was learning and she had perfect score and I could have shown it to anybody and said, look, she knows her grammar. She didn't know any of it because it was, as you said, she was learning it in isolation. She had no use for it. She couldn't see where she would use it. And her goal every time was just to fill in the two pages perfectly. She'd done the chore. She got all those good marks. And that was it. That's all she had to do. Next two pages, she couldn't see where she would ever use that. Yeah, and th and that's why you have to learn it while you're writing because then you see it working and it's like, oh, yes, this makes sense. I need this. I will remember it. And the other story I want to tell you is about punctuation. Now, I went through the school system and I did workbook after workbook, you know, lots and lots of punctuation uh, lessons, lots of ticks on pages. Supposedly, I had a good education. I went to university. I got a degree and I was taught what schools thought was important and I got good marks. English was one of my top subjects. Came to write my very first book and I had no idea how to punctuate it. No idea whatsoever. And one of the things that I had the most problems with was the colon. Oh, yes. I had no idea how to use a colon. And so I thought, well, I'm going to have to teach myself because school failed me. I went through all that education and I had no idea how to punctuate properly. I mean, of course, I knew capital letters and full stops and I used to throw in commas here, there and everywhere. Oh, yeah. More commas, the better, obviously. Because, I mean, I didn't even know where to put those, really. You know, people don't. Do you put them before a but or before a so or where do you put them? Do you have to have one before and and? And it was really guesswork. So I decided that I'd have to learn to punctuate properly. And do you know how I learned? Do you think I got a workbook out? <laughs> no. I got out Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And I reckon he is a master punctuator. He was a master punctuator. And I studied his sentences. And he uses the colon beautifully. Perfect example of using colons. This is another story about, you know, when you read a story and you've got half your attention on the mechanics of, of the book. Yes. And I enjoyed Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass for the story, but I also enjoyed it for the beautiful punctuation. It just, being a writer, you know, did you ever get a thrill from seeing beautiful punctuation or beautiful structure or beautiful anything to do with writing? Yes, absolutely. 
And yeah, that's how I learned how to punctuate. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I still check, Grammarly still checks my writing, but I don't always agree with Grammarly. You know, the app that yes. gives you punctuation and grammar and spelling checks. It's not foolproof and it doesn't always punctuate in a way that I feel is right. And I have developed my own style and confidence to use it. But yes, and that's another example, isn't it, Imogen, about reading good works, reading good books and learning from somebody else is example. Yes. Perfect way to learn, not just um, learning from a workbook, seeing things in isolation, but seeing thing, things in action within a book. Uh, you can appreciate poetry, but the way that a novel is written and punctuated as well, it has the same sort of beautiful form. Yes. And um, what's that book we just, I've just wrote, Imogen, the one that you gave me for Christmas? Oh, um, The Bridge of Clay by Marcus Zusak. Wonderful book. Really enjoyed the story, but it was so poetic. You know, the way he had set his words out and not just his, and, and his paragraphs. So he set some parts out, just like poetry, but it wasn't a poem. Yes. And it just sounded beautifully in my head. You know, the, the phrasing? Yes. And... Yes, it was a wonderful story, but also I enjoyed it immensely because of the structure of the thing and the two complemented each other. He could have told the story in somebody else's style and it would have, wouldn't have been the same. I think half of the uh, beauty of it, half of the enjoyment of it was his style of writing. Do you like certain authors for their style? Yes, yeah, so certain authors where you just pick up a book and you know that it's going to be beautiful or it's going to be, you know, gripping or something because they just write so well and it's with, you know, such a unique style and such a unique voice. I'm like, yes, I know what I'm getting into as soon as I pick up a book by this author. And, you know, it's just amazing. Well, I still got a lot to talk about writing. So we're, what I think we should do, Imogen, is get together another day and have another chat about writing. But I just want to finish off by saying that writing for children is serious business, isn't it? Yes. That we should value children's writings. Yeah? Yes. It's their work. We shouldn't discourage them. We shouldn't criticize. We should take them seriously. Yes, absolutely. I once heard that uh, we don't learn to write. We are already writers that we just improve our writing as we go. We learn more about it. But from the very start, whether you're playing, whether you're drawing, whether you're writing with poor spelling, you're a writer. Yes. You don't suddenly become a writer. You are a writer. You just progress. Exactly. And every writer is progressing. No writer sort of gets to the end and thinks, well, I'm 100%. I know everything now. It's a creative process where... Even the best writers have something to learn, something to develop. Do you agree with that? Yes. I've, it's often been said that writing is a craft in which no one is ever a master. So it doesn't matter what level you're at, doesn't matter how much of a beginner or how few writing skills you have, you're already a writer. You're already creating something and you can only get better. So that we should value children's writings and we shouldn't tell them that's no good that it, it, how's anybody ever going to read this or whatever? They are a writer and they should be valued. Yes. And if you really want children to learn how to write and to love writing, you give them time, you give them space and you encourage them and you, you don't sit there and go, well, this is great, but you can't spell that. This isn't how you use a comma. You need a, you need a capital letter there. 
you just because they will learn all these things and maybe they'll ask for some help you know I don't know how to do this or you know can you tell me do that can you read this and and you know help me figure out how to fix it because the first thing children need to know when they're learning to write is that they can trust you with their writing because writing is doesn't matter what you're writing whether it's fiction whether it's non-fiction if it's a book or a blog post they've got to know that who they're sharing the writing with isn't going to turn around and pull it to pieces and once they and once they trust you and trust that you know you appreciate what they're doing they'll want your help and they will want you to teach them how to do things if they don't know how to do it or to find out something and they just learn naturally themselves and you just need to value the time that they're spending writing and value the pieces of work that they produce because writing is a very personal thing isn't it, it you have to, it comes from your heart you don't want people stomping on your writing no cuz i mean i've always, always believed that every writer puts a little piece of themselves into every single thing they write well, I've put a lot of myself into my unschooling book, and we're going to talk about that very briefly in a minute. But I just wanted one last point on this topic of writing for today, because I think we still have a lot to talk about, and I would like you to return and talk to me another day, especially about maybe we could talk about older children and writing, and even adults, how to encourage people to write you know, at a higher level not just getting started at writing, but to keep progressing with writing. But the other point I wanted to make was that not, not all kids are going to be writers no. as such, like us. You know, it's very natural for our family to write stories, to write blog posts, but not every child's going to want to do that. But every child will learn the amount of writing, the skills they need to get through life if, yes. they're, if they're trusted. Not every child has to Right, do creative writing, for example. Yeah, not everyone's going to write a novel or poetry. They're not going to all going to want to have blogs, whatever. But if they can write a letter, I mean, if they want to write letters, they will learn how to write letters and emails. I'll write but a they shopping shouldn't be, list. But they shouldn't be made to write letters. No, but again, it's encouraged exactly the same way as creative writing is. If you want people to write letters and emails, you write letters and emails because it becomes normal. You want them to write shopping lists, you you show them shopping lists. It's It's exactly the same. It's just... It's just, you know, creating this space where writing is a normal thing. If you want them to learn how to write in their everyday life, just make it part of your everyday life and they pick it up as they go. Okay, thank you, Imogen, for all the sharing, all that. Um, yeah, that was really interesting. And will you join me for another part two sometime? Come on, a two-parter. I love a two-parter. <laughs> I'm a fantasy writer. We could do an entire series. We'll have like a 10-episode se series and I'd still be going because... That's what happens in fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Silly question, talking to a, a writer about, do you want to talk about writing? <laughs> yes, certainly we will get together again. But a quick update on my unschooling book, because you're helping me with that, aren't you? Yes, so where we are at, we are working on cover design. We've got some great ideas. Um, so we're just working out the final design and so the final elements, and I think it's going to look fantastic. You just decided maybe you would re-workshop your title, possibly. So <laughs> Oh, I had to tell that story. We're traveling home from the shops this morning. We'd gone to a cafe, had coffee. We'd plotted out this podcast, didn't we? Yes. Written down a few notes. I hope we've covered them all. <laughs> and as we were driving home, I suddenly said to you, I've had this other idea about the title of my book. How about I change the title to, and I won't tell anybody because we change it again. <laughs> it's uh, an idea that has to be developed a bit more. 
and you said, "Oh, that sounds okay." It would be minor changes to the manuscript because all we'd have to do is change the title a couple of times inside, wouldn't we? Yes. But it, it's a major thing for the cover design. But as Charlotte's still working on the cover design, I think we have time to change the title and change the cover image. Yes. Um, but yes, we've had an. I've had another idea. You know that we're having too many ideas. I think <laughs> we just send it all off, um, get our proof copy, and we then we we'll have to stick with what we've got. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be here forever. But yes, this afternoon, I'm going to uh, explore this change of title and the change of the cover design. And I think that I could do that today. If, if I'm going to change it, I could do all the changes today. It's not going to be something that's going to hold us up for weeks. No. And in the meantime, I'm working on the interior design of the book. So I'm putting all the pieces together and making it look nice and, you know, all the formatting, all the fonts, making sure all the pieces are in and the content list is right and the notes are in the right place and <laughs> I haven't forgotten anything. So I'm making it look nice on the inside and Charlotte's making it look nice on the outside and Mum's finishing all the details. So All I just got to write is the blurb for the back of the cover of the book. All the inside is written. All the words are in the right place, I hope. <laughs> and, yeah, it takes a long time to write a book, doesn't it, Imogen? It does, but it's so good when it's done. It's not just writing it. It's then editing it and proofreading it and then formatting it and then getting a cover design. But I reckon within a few days we'll get, we can send for our proof copy. Oh, yes. And that will be exciting when it arrives, won't it? To get oh, to yeah. Book. How many pages do you think it will be? Hmm, well, it's going to be less pages than it is now because I am still working on the formatting, but it's going to be quite a hefty book, so people are going to have plenty to read. Nice fat book. Oh, yes, it's going to be one that you're going to sit down and you're going to dip into and get lost in for hours, and you'll come to the end and go, wow, it was so good, and it's going to leave you wanting more even though you had lots there. Oh, that's really lovely of you, Imogen. You think that people will want to get to read the second one? Well, I want to read the second one, and I lived all the stories, so <laughs> when can I have the second book? Well, it's I've set myself a deadline. Should I tell everybody what the deadline is? Yes, because then they can hold you to it. End of March, so I've got a month to finish the writing. And then, of course, we've got to go through all the process of formatting and cover design, so it's not going – end of March isn't the end of it all, but that's when I'm hoping to have the manuscript finished. So hopefully – in April, in a podcast in April, maybe you'll be able to come back and say, hey, I finished book two. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? This writing books takes forever, and I sometimes think that people will think that I'm never going to get to the end. But the process of writing is a long one. Do you find that? Yes. The first book I, I published took me six years to write. The next, the sequel will not take as long, but <laughs> it's still not, a, it's still going to take me at least a year to get there because it's just such a long process. There's so much work goes into every part of it, but there's so much work because we want to hand you the best product we possibly can at the end. And this is really the culmination of eight years of writing and speaking about eight years, eight, nine years, something like that, of, of unschooling. So it's a long time trying to get all those ideas, all those thoughts, all the stories, well, not all of them, but the best of them, into some sort of form which can be printed. And that's a big process. <laughs> anyway, we're getting there. Anything else we want to talk about before we go? Only that we hope that you'll come back for part two just as soon as we can sort out our schedules to come back and, and record another podcast. I also like to talk to Sophie I'll see what everybody's um, work schedules are for next week. I have to jump uh, right in when you've got some free time and just say, come on, let's go and record, don't I? Yes. Work is so busy for you. You're 
you don't always have the same free time every week. Your schedule changes, and so does Sophie's. Yes. And uh, we don't always um, – our free time doesn't always coincide. Right. Where can people find you, Imogen? So you can find me on my website, which is ImogenElvis.com, or on Twitter at ImogenElvis, or on Instagram also at ImogenElvis. And I'm on YouTube, and my YouTube channel is called Write, Rewrite, Read. And, of course, you can find my book on Amazon if you're interested in looking at what I write and publish. And it's called The Crystal Tree, and it is a young adult fantasy. And I would recommend it for anybody. Everybody, all the teenagers, young people in the family, plus adults. So hop over to Amazon and take a look. And please go over to Imogen's YouTube channel, Write, Rewrite, Read, and subscribe because your channel's fairly new, isn't it? And you need some encouragement to keep on making your videos and uh, keep on going. I think that everybody will enjoy your book reviews. People are always looking out for new books to read. And I enjoy watching them. And, of course, then I go and steal your books because <laughs> <laughs> I want to read them too. So maybe other people would like to know about some young adult novels as well. So I'm at my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I've also got a YouTube channel, Sue Elvis, and I'm on Instagram at Stories of an Unschooling Family. Put all those links in the show notes, hey. Sounds good. Okay, then. Well, I think that's it. I would just like to thank you, Imogen, for joining me today, giving up part of your Sunday to talk about writing. And we want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. It's probably going to be another long one. Well, I hope you enjoy it because we've definitely enjoyed talking about writing. I could have done this all day. I think that we should have said right at the beginning that people should listen to this at 1.5 times the speed or maybe twice the speed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the episode wouldn't seem so long. I don't know. I talk pretty quickly when I get going. So. <laughs> That's because you're excited. When you talk about things you're passionate about, speed of um, speech increases, doesn't it? It does. Anyway, so thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode, episode 148. Hopefully, we'll be back soon with another unschooling topic. And part two. Don't forget part two. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, don't forget to trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Unconditionally.